Hey, this is Joe's sister Nikki. I think I might be the only girl in the world who has a brother who spends his entire day in the basement pretending he has an internet radio show. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how do you talk to family members about money? How do you ask if you're being underpaid? How do you approach a spouse about money? I don't know the answer to any of those questions because none of those situations apply to me, but today we welcome a woman who does, Erin Lowry. Plus, will 401k plan contributions slow down as health savings accounts become the next hot thing? We'll discuss that and more during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Maz, who has a question about lessons we should have learned from the recent GameStop events. And I'll share some truly delightful trivia with you. Delightful? Who says delightful? Anyway, I'll have trivia. And now, two guys who struggle with communication three days a week. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. It is true. We need all the help we can get, and apparently help is on the way today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Wednesday and the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and here to celebrate the fact that we are halfway done with another amazing February week. It's Mr. OG. Uh, technically more than halfway done if you had Monday off, and uh, we're still digging out from the uh, the winter weather event. Who gets Monday off beside you banker types? Well, apparently the presidents. So we we, we celebrate uh, Washington's birthday like average people here in the basement. We rolled. I mean, we had a show and celebrated all at the same time. Mom wore her George Washington wig, and there will be cake. And it was good. It was great. Bonus points for people that know what that's from. <laughs> We've got. I don't know that I know what that's from. You do, and there will be cake. No, I know the cake's a lie. It, Previous to that, he says, and there will be cake. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Did you play that game, by the way? I loved it. It's a fantastic game. We're talking about, for people that aren't geeks, we're talking about Portal, which well, is- Well, I probably- guess no bonus points now, because Joe just gave it away. <laughs> there goes- Sorry. The- <laughs> there goes the bonus points. I just wanted the bonus points for myself, okay? I never get the bonus points. Finally, something I knew, like that kid that sits in the front row in class and blurts out the answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, we got a great show today. Aaron Lowry talking about all those awkward money conversations that you have, whether it's telling your parents they probably need to get their estate plan done or talking to siblings about their money issues or about your money issues, asking coworkers how much they get paid so you're not underpaid. Aaron Lowry, expert in all those things, of course. If you don't know the name Aaron Lowry, I'm sure you know the name of her moniker, Broke Millennial. Uh, she's coming down to the basement today, OG. That explains the vacuums. <laughs> Absolutely. Got to clean the place up because Aaron's back. We got a great show today. We also have some awesome headlines. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aaron Lowry on our way down to the basement. But before that, let's get this party started with some headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. You know, Monday's headlines, OG, were pretty light. So I thought today we would nerd out a little bit, go over to the deep end of the pool. This is uh, from Napa-Net, the National Association of Plan Advisors, the group of people that manage pension funds, 401ks, those types of investments. Uh, Neville Adams has a, a pretty thoughtful piece that we'll link to in our show notes if you want to get super nerdy here. He asks the question, could contributions to health savings accounts actually crowd out contributions to 401k plans? He says, a chart book just published by the Employee Benefit Research Institute suggests that the answer is yes. It's a conclusion, or at least a provocative question, that runs counter to the prevailing body of research on the subject, which has tended to define that, at least in aggregate, HSAs bolster the overall level of retirement savings. So here's the thing, OG. This is what he's talking about. HSAs, of course, have this beautiful triple tax shelter. They're pre-tax. You can take a good portion of the money out tax-free if you do it correctly, right? And it's tax-deferred along the way. The 401k only gets two of those things. So what a lot of people say, and Neville is saying, is a great strategy a lot of people like, and we can talk about this because maybe a lot of our friends that we hang out with here don't realize this. You put money into your 401k plan because it gets a match. Most HSAs don't have a match. Once you reach the match, shovel money then into the HSA. And he's saying that that, doing that will force people or incentivize people to not put money in their 401ks. He's saying that the Employee Benefit Research Institute just came out with some data suggesting that that would be the case. Huh. Uh, I don't know. Has the HSA replaced the Roth as the next thing to do? Because the kind of the traditional order of events, right, is... 401k to your match, then back to the Roth, then back to your 401k. And well, obviously, what, uh, HSA has a place there. Well, and that's why I wanted to talk about this, because I tend to agree with him that HSA is a number one. Like, if it's not for the match, I would go HSA first. Like, if you don't get a match on your 401k, max out your HSA first, and then go to the 401k. Well, remember, you also have to have a high-deductible health care plan to be eligible for an HSA. Yeah. And that and that can change year to year. 
right? I mean, you could be eligible for a high deductible plan this year and not next year, depending on what your company does. So it's not a certainly not a guaranteed thing that you've got this option available to you for years and years. And I think I used jargon a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I got a little upset about people using jargon, and I think we haven't gotten off the jargon train here. An HSA is a health savings account. So you put money into this health savings account and you let that money accumulate. Some health savings accounts only have a, a savings account-ish feature, earn little to no interest, but you can use the money to pay for your medical expenses that qualify pre-tax. Now, a cool way to use the HSA, the health savings account, is to actually pay for those things out of pocket, take that money and invest it. You can actually, if you don't have the option to put it into investments, you can roll it over to another HSA that does, keep that money invested long term, and then let the interest on that money accrue. And now you have a bunch of retirement money, OG, that's, that's ready and waiting for you when you get there. Yeah. And you can think about it like a pool of tax-free money, which is the accumulated, all of your unreimbursed medical expenses from the time that you started it through through when you need it. People are thinking about it like that's their retiree healthcare bucket. Kind of check yeah. that box off. I can save save into that over the next 30 years. And by the time I get to 65, it should be several hundred thousand dollars. And that's kind of the average spend these days for retirees. So that's kind of my my retiree healthcare bucket. There's a lot of different functions to it for sure. But what's cool is if you pay out of pocket for things and don't use your HSA and you keep those receipts and and our friend Belinda Rosenblum pointed out, she's like, this is where people get stuck. Keeping receipts is very, (laughs) very, very difficult for the people. But if you can do that, you can actually then spend that money on whatever the hell you want in retirement, which is also attractive. I also think it's important to put an asterisk next to this. That's as it's legislated currently. For a lot of people who are now starting to think about this, if you're in your 30s or if you're in your 40s and you're saying, hey, I've got this opportunity to put 7,000 bucks tax-free into this bucket you know, that I can use in the future, just remember also, just like any tax change, just like any tax provision on any account, we're a Congress or two or three away from that being in a different direction. So this sounds really great. It sounds like a wonderful place to have money. And it probably ends up being a good place to have money. But remember, there wasn't a 401k thing in the early 70s. It didn't exist. So we're simply one, one and a half generations from this thing even beginning. Who knows how it's going to finish out? So I guess my perspective on it is I like including it. I don't see why you wouldn't include it. It's kind of sort of a tie between the Roth and the HSA. That's what I was going to ask. Do you start with the HSA? like Neville's saying saying here would be would be a good option. I think I would start HSA. So 401k to the match, then HSA? Then HSA. Then Roth, then back to yeah. 401k? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, just uh, make more money and do all of it. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know. Well, well you know. no, and, and it's actually interesting. It is interesting that you say, I know you're joking, but it is interesting you say that because this Employee Benefit Research Institute stuff says, and a lot of people say that for people that have limited funds, which is most of us, right? For people that are normal. Yes. If you have limited funds, this could crowd out the 401k. The part that he wonders about is for people that are high income people, this new research even shows that those people go back and I want, don't go back. And I wonder if it's the switching. I wonder if it's the fact that behaviorally, 
switching is is difficult. Like, okay, I max out my HSA. I totally forget about it because I'm busy at work. I'm busy with life. I'm busy with friends, like all this stuff going on. And then three months later, I go, oh crap, I didn't switch it back. Yeah. But by the same token, I'm not entirely sure that there's a ton of people out there. I mean, there are, there are people who do it and God bless you if you do. But do you think that there's a ton of people out there who are like, oh, what do I do with this $10,000? Oh, I'll just dump it in my 401k. What do I do with next week's $10,000? Oh, put it in my HSA. What do I do the week after that? No, they're they're looking at it going, okay, if I do 130 a month into my HSA or per paycheck or whatever it is, and, and I can do my 401k, that's 6%. And I got my Roth, that's 500 bucks. And So much easier to do it that way. Yeah, that's kind of how I would think it makes the most sense. It's, in theory... Listen, if you've got the cash and you've got a, a robust cash reserve and you have a, a a pretty solid job that you feel really good about the cash flow coming out of it, and you can say, hey, for the next two paychecks, I'm going to take zero of my paycheck. I'm going to put all of it into my HSA and get it done in the first two paychecks of the year. Cool. Do it. If then you can take the next 10 paychecks and max out your 401k, do it. That's fantastic. Um, but I don't think a lot of people... I don't think a lot of people do it. I, I wonder if the best way to do this is to just add it to, you know, the the repertoire, right? So everybody's thinking 401k, you know, I put my 6% in that or whatever. I put, you know, I got my Roth at 500 bucks a month. Maybe the next thing is to just say, now I'll add the HSA if I'm eligible and I'm going to do, you know, $100 a month into it. And then the next time pay raises come around, I'm going to do $200 a month into it and so on and so forth. Just a, Just another place to to spread the wealth, so to speak. But I think we agree. This is closer to the top. If you have it available, do the HSA. I agree. Yeah. And in our second headline, wait, who? T- no paparazzi. Who hey, fellas. No paparazzi, no pictures. It's a pleasure to meet you. I ain't no paparazzi. No, sir. Pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm Bubba Mext, president of the Texarkana, Texas. Chamber of Commerce. Not to be confused with those losers in Texarkana, Arkansas. We're glad you're back in town. So, so glad. Hey, t- we weren't expecting any guests. We're in the middle of recording. So, wait, is the wait, this is the OG? I'm a big fan. Big, big fan. <laughs> sir, sir, no autographs. Please, sir. Big, big fan right here. And on behalf of the Texarkana, Texas Chamber of Commerce, we want to welcome you back home here in beautiful. And Commerce Field, Texarkana. Hey, that's nice of you, Bubba, but listen, we're in the middle of recording, so... Oh, please, don't call me Bubba. Only my mama calls me that. People around here call me by my nickname, Tex. Tex? Yes, sir, you cross over that state line, and not only are you in the beautiful state of Texas, but you're also in Texas' backyard. Hold up a second. What was your last name? Mext. So your name is Tex. Let me tell you why I'm here so you boys can get back to your little podcasting thing some more. At last week's Chamber of Commerce meeting, Miss Gloria Butterfingers brought to our attention two things. Mr. McDaniel Sheep were all over Main Street. And then second thing was that you boys are back. And while we can't do much about Leroy and those damn sheep all over the street, when it comes to you two, well, to put it honestly, we all thought you could have done a little better shining up our little town here. You should shine a better light on her. The history. There's history. The excitement. There's excitement. The majesty of this citadel perched on a border between the great state of Texas and also Arkansas. Beautiful city on the border. Texarkana. Hmm. Well, uh, now that you put it that way, Tex. We all think that you need some local Texarkana flavor in these shows of yours as you're broadcasting all over the world. 
Do both of your listeners know, for example, that we have a symphony? Well, they do now because, listen, we were in the middle of recording when you came. Good, good, good. So I'm thinking about pecan pie, peach pie, country fried steak. Isn't that like a contradiction? I mean, the symphony thing might be confusing if you mix it with country fried steak. I've got it. I've got it. Start your shows from here on out with a little something like this. the hell was that mozart on the banjo yeah that's exactly what we're going after here you nailed it dude okay well i'll stand back here you go ahead and make your little show so uh do you know do we have security around here can we is there somebody we can call i think i don't think we can have doug take him away yeah we just kind of deal with it now yeah i think i guess we'll just we'll just roll through it then Hey, in just a second, OG and I are going to have our takeaways, but one big takeaway that I found out the last year and a half is that taking these masterclasses, OG, has been a huge win, just an absolute win for us and our team. Right now, Taylor Stevens and uh, Doc G and I are going through the masterclass with Shonda Rhimes and how TV shows are written, and it is really interesting to see the woman who made Scandal and Grey's Anatomy and other top shows how she did it and the emphasis on characters and on story arc really need, of course, good being Silverstein. I got a real appreciation for that during the Super Bowl, watching some of the ads and the clear difference between the good ones looking at you, Toyota and the bad ones. How about you, Robin Hood? <laughs> and even did you see, did you see Reddit's commercial for like a millisecond? Yeah, I know. Isn't that, but it was effective. Just, hey, let's just throw up this one screen there. Boom. Everybody's like, what the hell was that? But you certainly knew it was Reddit. Good stuff there. And Gooby and Silverstein talk about that. Of course, you like a lot of the chefs on Masterclass. Do. Yep. A lot of cooking with uh, Thomas Keller. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, negotiation with Chris Voss, communication with Robin Roberts, the thing you've always wanted to do, it's closer than you think. I actually want to, to take uh, Anna Wintour's class, of course, the, the woman who is the inspiration behind Devil Wears Prada, and also Bob Iger has, has a master class. Yeah, I've seen the Bob Iger one, yep. That looks really good. OG and I highly recommend... Obviously, that you check it out. I don't think we could be more glowing about Masterclass. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And because you're a stacker, you're going to get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash stacking. That's masterclass.com slash stacking. A lot of times we use SB. Turns out a woman named uh, Simone Biles actually has forward slash SB. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, we'll let the Olympian have it. We'll let you have it. Chill. Yes. So for us, use forward slash stacking to let them know that we sent you and you'll get your 15% off for being a stacker. Masterclass.com slash stacking for 15% off masterclass. I think our takeaways today, number one, lock the door to the basement. True. And then uh, number two is this HSA, if you have it available and you haven't explored it yet, OG, I think the real takeaway here today is 
explore that HSA, get to know how it works, because this could really be a Swiss army knife for your retirement. Well, you know how Lord of the Rings was a three-part series, OG? Sure. And a lot of the movies come in three parts. Finally, she finally completed the trilogy of Broke Millennial Books. Our friend Aaron Lowry coming down to the basement, I think. That's our third time talking to Aaron. We're going to have some fun today with Aaron. I know you may have heard Aaron, if you listen to other financial shows... You may have heard Aaron on other shows, so we're going to mix it up with her today. I don't think she's going to expect, OG, the questions that we've got coming. Her first book, of course, was named by MarketWatch. It's one of the best money books of uh, 2017. It was called Broke Millennial. And then her second book, Broke Millennial, takes on investing, also a bestseller. She's written for the New York Times, USA Today, and Bloomberg Opinion. The biggest thing she's done, though, is, of course come down to mom's basement let's say hello again to our good friend miss broke millennial herself Erin lowry and back to the basement for return visit it's our friend Erin lowry sit way over there make sure that uh we are socially distant how are you <coughs> no i'm just kidding you're good, good. Isn't that wild where all of society changed in 2000, where the second you you clear your throat, everybody turns and looks at you like, is, is she the one? Can I just say, I, maybe like a week or so ago, was doing some outdoor dining here in New York City and got something that like hit the back of my throat. And I, you know, just lost it coughing wise. And I just had, I walked up the street. I'm like, this isn't worth it. This is so uncomfortable. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm so sorry. I just, the jalapeno, I don't know what to tell you. My name is Rona. Nice to see you. Yes. Here, let me hack on that for you. That'd be, that'd be great. I have a question for you about your book. So uh, Lord of the Rings was a trilogy and then Star Wars was a trilogy. Was your goal, Aaron, to set out to have a trilogy of broke millennial books like this, this three, you know, a, a, a play has three acts, right? Is this a three act play? It could be longer. We'll see. For now, it's three. I will tell you, my competitive nature kicked in at a book festival several years ago. So I was at a festival for book one and a gentleman got up. He had two books and he said, I always wanted to write two so that I could hold one in each hand. And I immediately thought, I'm going to write three. (laughs) And I wish I was kidding. But that was (laughs) truly some of the motivation. And then I also, from the inception of pitching book one, I remember sitting in my to be publisher's office. We were talking about the book and I said, I have to tell you, I envision this being more than one book. I think the first one is to get it together, but now there's so many opportunities and there still are. I mean, people keep asking like broke millennial has a baby, broke millennial buys a house. I'm like, this broke millennial isn't ready to do either of those things. So if I get there, maybe we'll do it, but I'm not going to write about it if I haven't experienced it. It's not like, uh, you know, one of my favorite movies was uh, Babe. And the second movie was what called Babe Pig in the City. You're moving from Queens to Manhattan. Is it Broke Millennial Goes to Manhattan? 
It could be. I think that's going to be read by a very small population. <laughs> I mean, it's a big city, but I'm not sure that that is that level Maybe. of compelling that my publisher will be like, you can go do an ebook. We're not publishing that. Maybe not. People are starting to wonder, by the way, Aaron, when the heck are we going to get into this? Let's let me ask you about you. You've been married now for how long? Two and a half years. We've been together for 10 years. So I sometimes forget the timeline of being married. We got married in 2018, in September of 2018. And and your husband's name is Peach. Yes. Everybody co- which by the way is not cool because his first name is so awesome that he should probably go with his first name, don't you think? He has a lovely first name. He also has a lovely last name that is tied to the nickname of Peach, and that's all I'm going to throw out there. That is that is that is it. So, my first question then is about budgeting and about relationships because you've had it both ways. You, you budgeted as a single person, don't need to have many conversations as somebody who's single. Now you've had two and a half years married. Which one's easier? I mean, getting to do what you want when you want to do it is definitely easier. And it's funny because you just, it's a natural transition and an evolution. And we live together Before we got married, we did not merge finances, but there still is obviously conversations you have about being a couple, being a team, making plans together, even when you're cohabitating and not married. And my sister briefly lived with us for a month when she was moving from L.A. to New York in fall of 2020. And at one point, she makes the comment of, man, married life's really complicated. You just have to, like, run every decision by each other. Like, it just seems to be all logistics and planning. And she's not wrong. Like so much of budgeting with another person really is the, well, what is our goal? Is that still our number one goal? How are we working towards that goal? Well, what if we want to do this thing? And it's just always parts of moving pieces. If you're in a collaborative dynamic, I know in some situations, people sort of delegate responsibility to one person. I'm of the mind that you both should be able to operate as the chief financial officers of your home which means if something happens to one person, the other person can always step in. But obviously the one with the bigger interest in money, so in my marriage, it's me, is making a lot of the major decisions and then vetting it with the other person. But you know, in a lot of families, one person is the CFO and the other person lives at Disneyland, right? They're in Fantasyland Castle. And the first time that you have a discussion about money is when something goes wrong. Like, do you guys regiment your conversations? Is it a weekly meeting? Is it, uh, is it just everything you do the handoff? Like your sister said, how does it work? It's a combination. So I would say in daily stuff, for instance, one of the ways that we budget is we have a lump sum that we put into a fund. We have so many checking and savings accounts, guys. I don't advocate for our style to anyone just because it's just overly complicated just, in my opinion. Is, but is it what? Is it separate buckets? You just have a bucket for everything? Yes. Yeah. So we have buckets and full disclosure, shame on me being the personal finance writer that I am, but we still haven't like done all the paperwork to properly merge every single account we came into this marriage with. So even though we're beneficiaries and like TODs, transfer on death and like all that's updated, there's still just a lot of lingering logistics that I'm like, listen, life's complicated. I haven't gotten around to it. And I say this because we have one fund, we call it the LP fund. So Lowry Peach Fund. That is what we use for sort of our groceries, gas for our car, just kind of those variable bills. But that's also what we use for going out to dinner. 
So throughout the month, there has to be check-ins like how much is left in the fund? Where can we afford to go to dinner if we want to eat out tonight? The fund is low. We have to do just like eggs and vegetables that are in the Christmas drawer tonight. And we do have to have those touch-based conversations, which for some people might feel a little excessive. But really, we prioritize our savings and investing goals and then kind of let everything dribble down from there. So we're very much of the mind of those get funded first. And what remains is what we have to work with for the month for sort of our, we each get an allowance. I haven't come up with a better term for it, but we each get our own money into our own checking accounts. It just has our individual names on it that we can spend how we see fit. And that number can change based on, you know, what we're working on, what we're working towards. Cheryl and I did that for a long time. We had the allowance because I would come home with board games and she would think, what the hell? Because it's not a priority for her. But it was definitely the safety valve or the whatever for me. It was my outlet, right? And for her, back in the day before streaming, she would bring home these DVDs, you know, and then watch them once and they'd sit there and it would drive me crazy. And we realized instead of driving each other crazy and also instead of not buying them, we would have this allowance. We don't do that anymore because we've come to just this agreement <laughs> that board games are fine. And DVDs are fine. But initially, I think that allowance system is really effective. I feel like it's helpful for that reason. Like, we don't nitpick at each other. He likes comic books. I'm like, what gives? This is not my thing. But, like, I don't care. It's his money. He can do what he wants with it. And I love lattes. Like, I will be here for lattes all day, every day. He couldn't care less about going to go get one. And it's little stuff like that, that when your value systems aren't totally aligned, which is never going to happen. You're not the same person. It's okay to have different values on the smaller things. You kind of need to align on the big ones. Then yeah, it relieves so much pressure. I think at some point we'll probably get to more of the place where you guys are, but that also comes with building a certain level, I think of comfort and wealth and not necessarily feeling like you have to be as hands-on all the time. Not that you're forgetting about your money, but you know, a certain ease comes to having a certain amount of net worth. And to your question about when we talk, at least monthly, when I do our net worth updates, we always have a chat. Well, that's that That was the big thing is that's a part that hasn't got away for us. That regimented conversation, ours is once a week. We keep it at 20 minutes. It's always pancakes or wine, depending on what time of day it is. We keep it fun. We keep it light. And then neither of us is in fantasy land. Moving to a different topic you know, when I think of books that I expect uh, your broke millennial crowd to just love and eat up, I don't expect a chapter. I don't expect a section of a book on estate planning. As I'm leafing through your book, I'm like, what the hell? Aaron's talking about estate. Why is estate planning important in a book about discussions on money? Well, talk about the ultimate conversation about money is estate planning and not everybody just thinks wills. I think that's the first part of this conversation is it's so much more than just a will, especially how many documents impact decisions that will get made while you or your parents or your spouse are still alive, but unable to make decisions for yourself. And don't you want to have some say in who gets to make those decisions and what those decisions are? And also, listen, I'm also a big advocate out here for the prenup. So it should come as no surprise to people that I'm advocating for all the uncomfortable document conversations. But estate planning, in my mind, is truly one of the biggest acts of love that we can give another person. Because when that is being used, whether it's because something has happened and it's perhaps Alzheimer's or you've gotten an accident and you're in a coma or you've died, your loved ones are in an intense state of stress and grief already. Let's not compound that with 
making it so they have to go through an intense legal system, making it so they don't know the decisions that you would want to get made. It is just such a kind, loving thing to do to have that prepared for them. How do you how do you have these discussions around getting it done? I mean, I know you've got scripts all through the book on different things. What about the estate planning discussion? And even better, you talk about this a little bit too. What about for parents, making sure that parents get their estate plans done? You can bring a horse to water, as they say. And a big part of it is to just start engaging in the conversation. I like to start with the retirement piece. If your parents are not yet retired, it's sort of an easier transition into it as opposed to like, hey, guys, you're going to die one day. Let's talk about your mortality. <laughs> we all know it, but a lot of people don't want to talk about it. It can also be really sensitive in terms of cultural dynamics. When I think about retirement, one is the asking for advice route if it feels organic and authentic. So, hey, I just got access to a new 401k. I'm trying to figure out how to pick investments. I don't know what to do. How did you handle that? Parents love giving advice. The other one is, hey, you know, my friend Jackie's parents just decided to retire and move down to Florida. And I was just wondering, what are you guys thinking about doing? Just to open up the door to the conversation. As these topics start to progress, though, it is important to bring up the, do you have an estate plan? Do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? And you can also, again, tie it to your own life. We just got married. We're trying to figure out how to update things like our wills. What lawyer did you use? How did you guys decide to do it? If you have a kid, how did you guys decide who would be the legal guardian if anything happened to you? I'm feeling really stressed about making this decision. There's so many ways that we can use our own experiences or experiences of people we know to ask for advice. And that advice has a lot of information and details about what your parents did or didn't do. I love that, though, either making it colloquial through a story of a friend or parents love giving advice. So I absolutely love that. Another difficult conversation Especially, it's horrifying in the book when you find out that you're getting ready to give a talk and somebody else is making $10,000 and you're making three. That's difficult. A lot of people listening to the show are not in that situation, but you know, and you've talked about this a lot before, right? Wage gap, real thing. How do I find out if I'm being underpaid and kind of tiptoe around that? Because you can't just walk into, I can't walk into Aaron's office and just go, hey, Aaron, how much you making? I mean, you could, you I just could. don't know how I'm going to respond. <laughs> Might and not be the best strategy, right? One, identifying who are the appropriate people to ask. And the negotiation experts that I interviewed for the book raised the point of somebody who does your job, somebody who just got promoted out of your job, or somebody who hires for your job. Now, obviously, in the hiring one, you're not like, how much do you make? It's how much do you think somebody in my position should be compensated Obviously, a lot of us feel uncomfortable with asking somebody that directly works in our office these questions, which is fine and understandable. So in that case, social media is your BFF, like LinkedIn being a great option for just cold pitching people and asking the questions, give them some context. Hi, I'm going in for an interview for a job and I'm just trying to get a good sense of how much I should be getting paid for. What is the position? I feel like you have some information that could help me. Do you mind telling me your ballpark salary? Or do you mind telling me if you make over or under a certain amount of money? Over under strategy is also wonderful for people who actually work in your office. Again, give them context. Hey, I think I might have just realized I'm being underpaid compared to some of the members on our team. Could you help me test that assumption? Do you make over or under X amount. It kind of gives them an out to, they can say no, or they can be like, I mean, I make over 
then you can keep pushing. Okay, is it over or under 60? Is it over or under 70? And see what they say. Should you feel comfortable giving up your strategy saying, hey, I make 65? Do you make more than that? Yeah, you certainly can. I always, though, do want to preface this with you need to know your workplace dynamic and the politics of your office. Because technically in the United States, it is usually illegal to fire somebody for asking. They can find another reason Absolutely. to fire you if they want to. Yeah. So just... Keep that in mind. If it feels like an office where that you just know is not acceptable or just feels like it might not be, that's really when you want to start asking people who do comparable work at different companies in the same city. You have so many scripts in so many different areas of life that can be awkward. Which one of these, as you were doing the book, is the one that you found is the script that's the most effective where most people are either A, doing it wrong or they don't have any script at all? Is there one that surprised you or you thought, man, we really nailed it? I really love a lot of them in the friend dynamic section, uh, yeah. especially because there's so many things that people recommended. I'm like, oh, I wish I had thought of that when I was in my early 20s and I was going through. I mean, I'm still going through different versions of this. But particularly the pain points about your friends starting to have a certain lifestyle that you don't have. One of the women, Caitlin Boston, who I interviewed, she had these good ideas about instead of just saying yes to the dinner, offer the alternative of a drink before or meeting after as opposed to just a flat no. I've always enjoyed the counter offer technique. You know, I want to spend time with you, but I don't want to go to brunch. Let's get a bagel and go for a walk in the park instead. Can we tell I live in New York City? So... I think it's always helpful when you say no to couple it with an alternative solution, but also the idea of it's your birthday dinner and I don't want to be difficult and be like, no, I don't want to go to that restaurant, even though it's your birthday. And just saying, oh, I'll come for a drink before or a drink after. I'm like, why did I not think of that? Like, that just seems so simple. And so many of the scripts, so many of the examples in the book are like, yeah, the simplest things are often just the best solution for navigating through these conversations we just feel uncomfortable advocating for ourselves. And Melanie Lockhart made such a good point at one point. She said, the question is, do I want to deal with the resentment or the embarrassment? So the resentment of not standing up for myself and advocating for my money or the embarrassment of doing it in this moment. And that I thought was also such a good mental frame, no matter what you're talking about. Last one. There's just so many gems that I love. Alexander Dickinson, a negotiating expert, said, how much are you willing to pay to avoid an awkward conversation? So that talking to your coworker about money, how much are you willing to give up not to have it? What's the cost of that? Yeah. Yeah. Truly mind blown emoji when she said that. I was like, yes, that's so true. And you're, you know, you brought it up. I found out I was making $7,000 less for the same work than someone. I had no idea what the market could bear for the work that I was doing. And I wasn't going to find out if I didn't ask because the people paying me certainly weren't going to volunteer that information. Yeah. To some degree, I feel like there's a, and obviously you don't want to do it this way because it can be so awkward and you definitely smooth this over, but to some degree, and it feels like there's a, just do it. You know, the Nike phrase, just, just have the, please have the conversation because it will cost you more not having it. It will. The resentment factor too, I think is really important. And listen, this is not without its potential perils. I have had moments where I have lost relationships because I advocated for my money and it made somebody unhappy looking at you wedding season. There have been those moments for me. And some of them were because I wasn't doing it tactfully and I hadn't learned the lessons and I learned the hard way. And some was because our value sets were so misaligned 
And there was just not going to be any sort of compromise that was going to get made. And then me putting my foot down drove a wedge. What do you do with friends, though, where you can feel that happening? You know, where the friendship is important. Do you just address it? I mean, do I do I say, hey, I really feel like you and I are having some issues about how we look at money or uh, because I've had that before where one of us is doing well, the other one's not doing as well. You start to feel a little resentment or at least between my ears. I think that resentment's there. Like, I know you, well, this is exactly what you're talking about, I think. You do have to address it if you care enough to maintain the relationship in the the way that it's been. And I don't say that flippantly. Truly, Amanda Clayman, a financial therapist that I interviewed, made the very good point that not all friendships are lifelong friendships. And I am not saying that because like, hey, if it gets tough, just bail out. It's fine. No, I'm saying that because there are relationships that you know this is lifelong. I want to work through these hard parts. I want to invest in this. And then there are times you're like, this is going to be a coffee once a month kind of friend. And that's okay. As things change, people change, we evolve, interest shifts. That's all right. But when you're thinking about how to engage in that conversation first, check in to see if they actually know there's a problem. Like that sounds so simple and silly, but If you're also on the I'm not earning as much end of the spectrum, but you're financing life on credit cards or you're seemingly living the same lifestyle, your friends might not know that there is an issue. You have to tell them. You have to be the one that's comfortable being vulnerable and explaining. I just have to let you guys know, you know, I'm a public school teacher. You're an investment banker. I think you probably know that there's a big difference in how much we're making but I just can't afford to be doing all these things that we've been doing for the last year. And it's really starting to put a strain on my budget. And I I also just want to have a conversation about this because I value our friendship and I don't want to lose it. But I have to be honest with you about how much stress and tension this is putting me under. But that's also on you. Are you comfortable enough to be that level of honest? Are you comfortable to say, I have credit card debt. I can't afford to be doing this. Or I have student loans and that's my priority right now. And are you fine setting that healthy boundary for yourself? And also, once you let them know, you might be surprised how often they provide alternatives to you and say like, oh, then let's, you know, go for a hike. Let's go do this thing that is just much more affordable. Hike, you guys do that a lot in the city too, I'm sure. Yeah, sure do. Central Park, there's a hill. <laughs> there Let's go hike the hill. Which hill? You know, the hill. Let's do Let's do that. I want to shift to uh, your last book for a second because you, you wrote a great book on investing. And uh, lately we had this thing. In fact, later on in the show, we're going to have a call from Max to our Haven Lifeline asking us about this, this GameStop situation a few weeks ago. We have a few weeks of hopefully cooler heads now. What are your thoughts around what happened around the GameStop issue? Oh, man. Oh, Reddit. It's so funny. In my second book, I specifically have this chapter about where to go to for financial advice and like actually call out Reddit, (laughs) which I found really funny and not in an aggressive way. And I'm like, hey, I was going to say, don't get don't get aggressive with Reddit, Aaron. Oh, never, ever. Because there can be actually very valuable information that comes out of it. But what are the experts in book two? And I don't want to misappropriate the the person. So I'm not going to say because it's between two. I'm not sure which one. But basically says the advice you get is worth as much as you paid for it. So like if it's free advice on the Internet, just make sure that you vet that piece of information before moving forward. The market manipulation angle makes me very uncomfortable with what happened, but I also very much understand 
the feeling, like the feeling that you were coming for these big guys, like they were going to get theirs defending this, you know, company that people feel was being shorted in their minds, perhaps unjustly, or maybe they just wanted to to make the comeback. I personally did not buy any. I did not play that game. It makes me a little anxious how many people don't know about taxes when it comes to your investments and not necessarily thinking the financial piece all the way through. I personally, and if you read my second book, you'll see I'm very much of the like, buy and hold ETFs, index funds, school of thought. And I do say, if you're interested in things like Bitcoin's just like come back with a vengeance in the last week too, as conversation, I specifically talk about crypto cannabis, and then just individual stock picking saying, if this is something you want to do, you want to learn, this is what's interesting for you. Great. Play around with it. But I wouldn't do more than personally 5% of my portfolio in those things. But if it's an amount of money that you're comfortable losing, and maybe you won't, maybe you'll make a ton of money. But what is your risk tolerance and what are you, how you're willing to risk mitigate? That's, and who knows, maybe I'm just too conservative and I'm just a, an old person at, at 31. <laughs> it, I can see that too. It feels, you are, I've always said, and you know this, that you're wise beyond your years. But the issue I think that you bring up that I think you're saying is this is more like betting than investing. Oh, I mean, come on. We couldn't call GameStop anything other than truly that was, I hate to compare the market to Vegas, but let's call a spade a spade of what was going on that week. Like that was a hundred percent. You are basically just on the floor of a casino, RIP, being able to do those kind of things. It felt very much like every cliche of people who were afraid to invest and this whole idea and misunderstanding about what it means to be an investor, I feel like was starting to play out in that scenario. And I do worry about the tax bills that some of these folks are going to be getting at the end of 2021 and perhaps not prepared for. I don't worry about the tax bills myself as much, because that's fine. I worry more about the people that hung out thinking this was a long-term thing and, and yeah. somehow thought investing in a crappy, and this is my opinion, guys, Investing in a crappy company that's in a fading market that's going nowhere has a lot of brick and mortar costs when I can buy a video game right online now, never walk into any store ever, thinking that this is some sort of a long-term thing and I was going to beat the hedge fund managers with all of these these dollars. Th that's what got me, the people that wrote it up and wrote it down. And we're in the middle of a pandemic and millions of people are struggling to meet their bills. And we're now looking at this like some sort of get rich quick scheme, which is never what investing should be looked at yeah. as a strategy. And I think a lot of people for, yes, the great stories that came out in the media of all these people who kind of got theirs in a good way, like got their money. There's going to be a lot that lost a lot. And so many people are living perilously on the edge at the moment financially with everything that's been going on, that causes a lot of anxiety for me. I had never thought about your point, and I love this point, that for people that were afraid of investing, this gives them the whole wrong idea. I totally buy that. There are people that have never invested a dime and they look at this and they think this is what they have to do to be a successful investor is horrible. Or that that's what it means to be an investor. Right. Some of that's also on all of us with the language we use. I'm going to soapbox real quick about the fact that we use the phrase save for retirement and not investing for retirement. It makes me mad. I talk about this all the time. You are an investor if the money is invested. 
how many horrifying stories are there of those where people get to retirement age and it's been sitting in cash the whole time. And that's frankly on us for the language that gets used because you don't know any better. You, you think of it as saving. How many people have so much money squirreled away into savings accounts because they are so overwhelmed and fearful of the stock market and they're so afraid that they're going to lose it all. And then you see certain people go boom and bust because of how they interact with the market. Like if you know somebody in real life who bet on something and lost it all that's what's going to get coded into your head. Not the example of all the people who are basically 401k millionaires because they diligently invested over time with the appropriate risk tolerance. Worst first question I used to get from new investors that were older was, I got a bunch of money in cash. Which one of the stocks should I buy? Right? And you're like, okay, we need to reprogram this entire ship. The book is called Broke Millennial Talks Money. I wish you liked talking about money. I totally wish you did. Scripts. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Scripts. I feel like we're just a couple of nerds hanging out. Script. We are a couple of nerds hanging out. Script stories and advice to navigate awkward financial conversations. The third in the Broke Millennial Trilogy, the exciting conclusion where they finally take the ring and no, I'm going off the deep end now. I mean, we talk about weddings and prenups. So sure, there's rings and allergies. There, there it there. is. Let's it's go for it. Available everywhere, Aaron, I'm sure. It is. And by the way, I, and I said this in as you were coming down the stairs, if you want to be entertained and learn more about money, follow Aaron on Instagram because it is always entertaining and always a ton of great advice. That's, that's I love following you on Instagram. And I feel like you're there way more Thank often you. than me. That makes me totally jealous. I'm there a lot, arguably, because I have my phone tracking my screen time. That was a fun <laughs> wake up call. Like, hey, girl, you're on Instagram a lot. <laughs> Maybe go outside. Hey, stackers, I'm your basement guy, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And once again, I was put on full display like I was Timmy the Frog Toad Boy at the circus when Tex, the president of the Texarkana Chamber of Commerce, stopped by. Joe said I needed to give him a tour of the basement. I got news for you, Joe. I am no circus pony. All things considered, it actually went pretty well. But to say I could have used a little more heads up to either light a candle or spray some Febreze is an understatement. Not sure that basement smell was what Tex bargained for. While I go into full-on Doug mode and schmooze up some damage control, let's get you a suitable trivia question. Since Tex was here and apparently loves the Texas side of the border, let's throw out this doozy. I'm sure you know that Texas is known for two things, being the nation's number one exporter of oil and of hit finance podcasts operated by a couple of dorks, am I right? But you may not know that they're also surprisingly the nation's fifth biggest producer of what other liquid? No, not that one. I'll be back with your answer faster than you can rush clean your house for guests that show up unexpectedly. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies 
that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, trivia fans. You know, so usually when I know we're expecting a guest down in the basement, Joe's mom's got me running through this whole four-part comprehensive list of tasks to get ready. Number one, give that leaky pipe over by the deep freeze a fresh rapid duct tape. B, drain that bucket that catches the leaky water. Uh, Third, Febreze and mop all around the toilet. And finally, I got to sprinkle some comet over that weird stain in the carpet that appeared uh, right after Susie Orman was here. Not blaming her, but hard to ignore the coincidence. Am I right? But nope. Joe said there was no time. So Tex saw it all firsthand in all its glory. Not exactly our best moment here in the basement, but at least we're dazzling Tex with this here trivia question. Texas is surprisingly the fifth biggest state when it comes to exports of what liquid? Well, back in 1980, Texas was number 48 when it came to production of this liquid. But now, just over 40 years later, Texas is the fifth biggest state producing wine. With more than 400 wineries and generating $13 billion annually, you can see why OG moved here. Because it's 5 o'clock somewhere and he's always ready to raise a glass to Texas wines. Especially if they come out of a box. Those are his favorite. See ya! Big thanks to Aaron for dropping by. OG, we've talked a lot about how Cheryl and I talk about money and have some of these awkward conversations. You and Mrs. OG seem to be on the same page, regardless of your persona. <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, and knowing the family, I know who really is in charge of, of the family. Yeah. But how do you guys uh, continually talk about money? Well, I mean, it's a little bit of a cheater for me because A, I work from home. B, 
what I do is money. So every conversation that's like, hey, how was work? It's something about money. So a lot of times that comes back to us personally. And we always have a, like a lot of a lot of short and intermediate term goals that we're talking about. And for us, it's there, you know, there's always something on the horizon. Somebody told me when we were saving for building our pool, we built a pool several years ago and we had saved up. And uh, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, we we're sitting in the backyard uh, having a pop or something. And, and, and I said, yeah, I think, I think we're, I think we want to do this. You know, and I said, well, this is what we think and da, da, da. And six weeks later, the construction guys were there digging a hole. And the guy says, he comes back to me after the fact, he goes, I'm just, I can't believe it. You just like literally said it six weeks ago and boom, there you've got the construction guys there working for you. I go, no, 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 no. I said it to you six weeks ago. We've been working on this for three years, Yeah, you know? So I think it's important to always have something that you're working toward. And since there is for us, we always have, you know, kind of the next thing, right? Like, Hey, let's go on vacation. You know, when all this stuff clears up, where are we going to go? We want to go to the beach and let's kind of keep that on the horizon and, and work toward it. There's always something to talk about. Well, and I think this is really important too, because even with your three kids, OG, something I've noticed at your house, hanging out that you don't see at a lot of houses, money is an open conversation with sure. kids around, yeah. not around. I don't know that we've talked about how life was at your house talking about money as a kid. We've talked about your parents before, but when I was a kid, if I walked into the room and my parents were talking about money, you had to turn around and leave. You could not talk about it. it was, I couldn't ask my dad how much money he made. I couldn't talk about uh, what the bills were. That was not for kids. You walk out of the room. That's not the case in the OG house. Right. Yeah. I just think it's really important to make sure that that's it's kind of always on the agenda. My kids don't have any idea how much money we make, but that's because they just can't comprehend it. You know what I mean? That sounds weird. Weird flex, OG. It's got so many zeros. It's just impossible to comprehend. I was going to go that way. How do we live this lifestyle on this little money? I know. Uh, Geez, how do we uh, just pull it off? That's not what I meant, but I I just, you know, kids just say they don't have any idea. Sure. 50 bucks, 500 bucks, 5,000 bucks, you know, whatever. It's It's all all the same. same to them. So we don't talk a lot about that, but we do talk a lot about you know, investing and, and, uh, and certainly how much stuff costs, you know, when they leave the lights on and stuff like that, I go, Hey, the electric bills, this amount of money, you know, you've talked about rallying the family around saving money on the electricity bill, playing the electricity game at home. Thanks again to Erin for stopping by again. We'll link to her, uh, book and her site, her wonderful site in the show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Also, or Instagram, if you like uh, money lessons, uh, follow her on Instagram if you're there. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. The eclectic sounds of the wonderful composer Mozart being played at a county fair (laughs) with perfect acoustics. Perfect. You can hear the cars going by. Uh, what could go wrong? It's actually your money and your time. And if you got Mozart in your head while you're doing it, while you're filling out their app, you probably don't even, what, that uh, Mozart clip that he brought is uh, less than two minutes. I don't know if this is that short, but man, is that application short. They've gotten rid of all those baloney questions. Remember back in the day when these insurance applications, well, and still in some of the traditional companies, you still have these really long applications with all these questions like, why do you need to know that? Well, Haven Life got rid of all those so you can spend time with your family, get your life insurance done. The application's simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, of course, affordable prices, and all at the same time, 
you're not going to Bob's Muffler Shop and Life Insurance Agency. They're actually backed by Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life tells them that we sent you. Today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our friend Max. Say hi, Max. Hi, Joe and OG. Uh, in words of Nikki, I'm calling your internet radio show. <laughs> One of my favorite intro. Uh, anyway, I want to know uh, more about GameStop beyond uh, what we already know in the last week. I was kind of surprised you guys didn't touch that on Friday. But uh, I would love to know about your insight. What can we learn from that? And any future advice on the whole thing that happened? To me, at least, it's crazy. But um, I would love to know what you guys think about it. And again, I appreciate what you guys do. Uh, in your show. Thank you very much. Thanks a ton, Max. And uh, yeah, my sister and her internet radio show. She's so proud of us. OG. you know, when it comes to GameStop, uh, Max, by the way, sent that uh, over the weekend a couple of weeks ago. Of course, we addressed that in full on Monday, but I would like to circle back today, OG, to see a little bit, you know, we wanted to focus on it on Monday after we saw some of the dust settle a little bit, like a little cooler head approach, which I think we did. But now a couple of weeks later, OG, I think we have an even better look at, at if you're going to play this game, if you're going to play this game at all, how not the Robin Hood horrible app works, but Robin Hood, the legend works. I think, I think if you're going to play that game, you got to get in make your money, get the hell out. And the whole time realize that this is a big, big, big bet. Ultimately, that's how it is with any stock trading, right? I mean, where people get fouled up on buying and selling is that it's impossible to know the day-to-day movements of individual stock prices. It's one thing if you think like, hey, this is a stock that I want to own for a long time. Well, you're not so concerned about the day-to-day movements then. But if you're actually a trader... And like we pointed out a couple of times already, traders have rules. They follow a specific guideline and a specific program for you know how they manage their money. And, and that includes having an out. And I think one of the things that you notice with GameStop or any of the lately you know meme stocks, right, is that people just think that there's unlimited. They, they, it just goes up forever. Stocks don't generally go up. a day. (laughs) They don't generally go up 50% a year. They don't generally go up 50% in five years. You know, so you have to imagine just like the other side of it was true in March of last year, the stock market went down 34% in 17 trading days. That's very unnatural. So it was not surprising to also see the rebound be that absurd, right? So, so that a little bit of the concept of regression to the mean or a little bit of the concept of the volatility on one side is going to be the volatility on the other. You have to expect it. If a stock goes up 50% in one day, it means it can also go down by 50% the next. It's already built into the system. So uh, where I think a lot of people get fouled up in you know their quote-unquote play money account is they don't have an out. They don't have a system. You know They don't say like, if I lose 10%, I'm out. Or if, I, if I'm up 20%, I'm out or whatever. And so you saw a lot of people getting hurt. Obviously, the stuff with GameStop was a little, you know, crazy. It's, you know, once in a decade type situation. But um, 
that story's not done being written yet either. We complained about it then, and I feel it even more strongly today, the idea of of what these people complaining, why are you selling? Why are you, stop selling? Stop. You, you can't herd cats and hope that everybody holds. And frankly, if all of the Wall Street bets people all hold, the hedge fund managers still have more money than you. Obviously, that's a big fallacy, thinking that $8 million $20 accounts on Robinhood somehow beat out all the rest of the market. I mean, it wasn't just hedge funds that have GameStop. Mutual funds had GameStop. The yeah, big story that I Vanguard total market index fund at GameStop. I mean, big story that I read OG was that the number one, and this was early on, so I don't know if this I haven't followed it to today, but early on, the biggest winner in the rise in GameStop was Fidelity Investments. Yeah, again, a lot of this stuff is not ever going to be published because it's not necessary to be. But but if you think that eight million investors all on Reddit with their hundred thousand dollar accounts or probably closer to $5,000 accounts or $2,000 accounts are going to take down the world's largest hedge funds. And you think that they weren't part of it. I think you're sorely mistaken. I want to bring up something else. Another facet of Max's question and unasked part, but really I think a necessary component, which is we have seen legislators and, uh, and uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I've seen. I'll tell you what I think about the legislation, but I'll also ask the question. I've seen legislators start to question free trading. Like is free trading creating problems for our market? You and I even said when many, many, many accounts went to free, not Robinhood or M1 uh, at the beginning, but when we saw Schwab and TD Ameritrade and all these uh, other places, OG, go to free, you and I predicted that there may be some more betting. Well, clearly that's happened. Clearly there's been a ton of betting now. And the question's been asked. And first of all, I said I'd answer this. I don't like legislators telling me what to do in this. I should be able to waste my own money if I want to. But I do have to ask this question. Remember when we had $8 trades? Yeah. Do you think that $8, it, it feels to me now like $8 was enough of a speed bump that we wouldn't see some of the stupidity with money that we're seeing today. Like if we went back to $8 trades, we might get a little more thoughtful investing again, even though eight bucks to a lot of traders is still nothing. Well, again, the conspiracy theory side of this says, if you think that this was not well thought out by the fine folks at uh, Schwab and TD Ameritrade and every place else that came up with this zero, you know, or Robinhood for that matter, the zero dollar trading cost thing and the projected outcomes of it. You know, I think that you missed, the, I think you missed the memo. Uh, this is, this is not a way for fidelity to go out of business. It was not a way for Schwab to go out of business or for anybody. It's a way for you to go out of business because when you can trade without any restrictions, you know, you just like press buttons, beep, 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 beep. how fun. There's a lot of this still to unpack, but if you got caught up in it and you made some money, Hey, it's like going to the casino, put a few bucks in a slot machine and, and winning. You know, I mean, it's happens, right? I, I saw somebody want to, I saw somebody win a million dollars on a slot machine when I was in Vegas once it happens. That actually brings up a good point. We have all, we do have all these rules around gambling, right? Around whether you can gamble, you make trading free OG. There's a certain, I mean, I don't use the Robin hood app, but I've played with the Robin hood app. It certainly makes some sounds that sound like a casino to me. 
Like it's a little casino on my phone. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So I don't know where that goes, Max, but a great question. Hope you heard our episode last Monday, right, right after, by the way, you sent in your question. Our Friday episodes, the roundtable episodes are recorded a little earlier than most so we can get all these different voices on the Friday shows. Uh, we have the capability on a Monday or a Wednesday of recording quickly and getting something out the day before and then packaged together. But with that Friday show, the reason we didn't do it on Friday and waited till Monday was for that reason. But in hindsight, I also do like the fact that by Monday, OG, look back and have more an objective opinion. I have found that when we've when we've uh, commented on things right in the heat of battle, you'll have people responding with uh, very emotional responses to whatever whatever the commentary is. And, and I think one of your first rules of investing that you and I absolutely have lived by is don't respond, right? Clients come into your office all the time. Clients ask you quite a bit, and they used to ask me a lot, how do we respond to this? And your answer Great investors don't react, they act. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff. Thanks for the question, Max. If you've got a question for us, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Thanks for being brave enough to call Max and a great question. Gertrude's going to send you a code so that you can wear some Stacking Benjamins Haven Life swag. All right, that's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks to all of you for hanging out today. Thanks to people that have left us a review some of the comments about our thousandth episode last week. I really appreciate all those comments. You and you and IOG were talking about the fact that if you didn't know, if you didn't know our show, you might think that there were a lot of people publicly slamming us, <laughs> telling us how they don't learn anything from us and they've wasted a ton of time with us. And we, we appreciate all those, but we also appreciate straightforward reviews like uh, this one on, on iTunes. And if you can help us tell people, about the show. That's fantastic. Mom's bragging about this on the refrigerator. Diamond in the Rough by Yo Mamal So. <laughs> Love that name. Uh, runs a little long most times, but otherwise a well-done show. I've sampled many financial shows over the past two years, and this is one of the select few to which I still listen. I love that review for a couple reasons. Thanks for the second half of that, which is about how much you like the show and about the fact that you've stuck with us for a while. We try to make it entertaining. Of course, we're entertaining ourselves more than anything. But the long show, OG, is mostly because I like shows that I can't outlisten. Our show isn't made for you to be a completionist. My favorite shows are ones where I can continue my run or my walk, and the show goes as long as I go. I do not like, I do not like changing shows. So like anything, you make it for you, and you hope you bring other people with you. So... um I'm a big fan of the long shows. Joe Rogan, two hours, one guest. We're not going to do that. Tim Ferriss, two hours, one guest. Mark Marin, two guests, sometimes runs two hours. Not going to be us. If we can stick to 70 minutes, that's, uh, I have a hell of a time running for 70 minutes, OG. I have a hell of a time running for seven minutes. So. <laughs> All right. Last but not least is if you need to do better with your money this year, I think you owe it to yourself to find a trusted friend that you can share what you're doing with your money. Find that person. If you don't have that person in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will 
lead to the link in their calendar so you can see how they can interface with you to make better money decisions in 2021. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. HSAs? Yeah, you should look into how they work, at least if you have one available. But you may want to make it a cornerstone of your financial plan, full well knowing that the future is uncertain for every tax shelter. Second, take a lesson from Aaron Lowry. Money discussions? To some degree, you should take Nike's advice and just do it, meaning just have them. Whether it's on estate planning, how much you're earning, or chatting with friends, there's less downside than we all may think. But the big lesson? Turns out that while lots of Texas towns have Tex-Mex, our version, not so great. I heard that. But you know, not horrible. That's not good enough. Okay, can a guy just work in peace? To learn more about Erin Lowry, you can head to our show notes page or check out her new book, Broke Millennial Talks Money, scripts, stories, and advice to navigate awkward financial conversations wherever fine books are sold. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Also, special thanks to Tex Maxed from the Texarkana Chamber of Commerce for his surprise visit today. If you're ever in Texarkana... You mean beautiful Texarkana, Texas. Seriously, don't you have something to do? If you're ever in beautiful Texarkana, stop by and say hello to the history, the excitement, and the fantastic peach pie. Don't forget the symphony. Oh my God, and the damn symphony. It's all you, right? Oh, do you want me to talk? You had the short straw today. Okay. So uh, it's been pretty crappy here, weather-wise. And um, my kids... have. Did you get snow? Well, we're recording this prior to the actual snow event potential, so I don't know. 
as of but as we did not get t- any last night but we did get some ice which is the funny part well, of the story here. well and that's the thing and i want to get back to that but what's great about here is that uh in um hope just north of us the, there's ice warnings no ice as you know in texarkana so my kids have never had a snow day obviously since we moved here they you know but the head dude at their school sent out an email and said hey this is how we handle it and so on and so forth and and there was forecast to be an ice event over the over the evening and it happened here and so there was a delay so my wife gets up she checks her email it says school starts at 10 or doors open at 10 school starts at 10 15 today so basically like a two-hour delay right pretty common stuff for people up north you remember it i remember it the kids do not remember it so my wife gets upstairs she goes up and tells william my middle one says hey uh uh, you don't have to get out of bed yet. There's a uh, two-hour delay. We're going to leave at 9.30 to go to school instead of 7.30. And then tells my other son, who's a teenager, and he's like, whatever, and like went back to sleep. But William gets up because he came downstairs, dressed, showered, ready to go. It's like 7.40, and he's knocking on our bedroom door. And he's like, Mom, Mom, we have to leave. And, you know, she's just laying in bed. I was taking a shower. She's laying in bed watching TV. And she goes, what? I, I, I specifically told you that we have a delay. And he's like, I, I don't know what that is. Um, and I thought you were sleepwalking. <laughs> Your son <laughs> thought that Mrs. Yeah. OG was sleepwalking? Yeah. Yeah, she was sleepwalking. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And so she tells me this story after I get out of the shower. And I'm like, I got this. So I go out and the, the, I kind of open the door in a huff and I run out into the kitchen and he's sitting eating a pop tart, you know, ready for school. I go, I go, William, mom made a mistake. It's the delays. Not today. It's tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Okay. You got to get on zoom. Like your zoom class started 15 minutes ago. He's like, Oh, I'm so okay. And he starts running around trying to get his stuff. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. It's school starts two hours. He's You're like horrible. <laughs> <laughs> he's like on the phone with his buddies. He's like, yeah, school started. You're right. There wasn't a delay. My mom was lying. Yes, it's perfect. Here, start your shows from here on out with a little something like this. The hell was that? Mozart on the banjo. Because <laughs> I, I actually believe that could be a, a real like, thing. Like it's the most normal thing I've ever <laughs> yes. Damn, I dude. I didn't envision it that way. You say it that way, but that's funny as shit. <laughs> like, duh. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like 
Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 